We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University I'm not supposed of to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, so don't, don't make it. Welcome in to another BuzzBeat. This is Richie. Hope you guys are enjoying your day. Uh, this is another draft-related episode. It's going to be about second-round prospects where Lee and Brian talk about six different players that could end up in the second round. Some maybe a target at number 45 for Charlotte. If you did not listen to the mock draft episode, go back and listen to that. That was a pretty fun episode. It's a quick listen. 15 to 20 minutes of your time uh, can be spent listening to that where I got the help of a lot of different people in NBA Twitter, and each of them covered a specific team in the lottery, and it led all the way up to pick number 13 for Charlotte. And I had a handful of players that I was considering before I made my actual selection. So... You have this episode right now, the second round prospects, and then you'll actually have one more episode prior to the draft where we go live and react uh, on Thursday night, the 23rd. So let's go ahead and jump into this. Uh, This is a lengthier episode, and uh, I want to make sure that you guys get into this right away and, and brush up on some of your second round prospects. Well, it's hard to believe... 2022 NBA draft uh, just a week away or a little under a week away when you may be listening to this so far on BuzzBeat we've covered a lot of potential first round prospects uh, that could be available to the Hornets on the middle uh, the end of the lottery middle of the first round assuming they keep keep both those picks um, Charlotte also has pick 45 in the draft we don't know if they'll keep that if they'll trade it if they'll end up selling that pick who's to say but we thought it would be a healthy exercise to discuss some second round prospects um, just as, as they're getting set to enter the league or how they could potentially be targets for the Hornets. Um, it's Brian. I'm joined by Lee. Richie is producing here. Um, and so we've each picked three guys or Lee and I have picked three guys each and we're going to jump right in on these prospects without further ado. Uh, Lee, I hope you're doing well. Why don't you go ahead and hit me with your first second round prospect? All right. Second round gyms. Here we go. 
Um, so one prospect that I really like, like the idea of in Charlotte potentially is Hugo Basson. Um, six, five and three quarters at the combine measured in just, just a little bit bigger, I think, than, than I, at least I was anticipating. He's 21 years old. He played in the NBL in Australia. Hornets fans should be quite familiar with that same league that LaMelo Ball came from in his year prior to landing in Charlotte. He played for the New Zealand Breakers with another uh, potential um, potential lottery pick actually this year in Usman Jang. And he averaged 14 points a game, two and a half assists, 1.8 turnovers, just under four rebounds. Um, the case that I've been making for Basson and the reason why I think he is a decent bet to become kind of the marshal of a second unit offense in the NBA, a pace changer, a dynamic scoring guard off your bench. Like that, that's kind of the role in the ceiling that I see with Basson. And the reason I believe that is because of some of his incredibly efficient pick and roll numbers. Um, he would come off the bench for the breakers and the entire kind of vibe of the offense would just change. Like he is very charged, ready to go, not hesitant, like a dogged, determined driver. 0.839 points per possession in the pick and roll and 1.01 points per possession in the pick and roll, including passes. So even more efficient numbers when you kind of take in the totality of his pick and roll um, diet and profile. So, you know, size, pretty crafty and flashy ball handling, um, the ability to get downhill, uh, like that is just like a pretty winning profile for me. The way he moves, the way he manipulates defenders, um, the way he is completely unafraid, like like for better or worse, frankly, at times. Um, now, if you want to kind of take the flip side of it, the counter argument on Basson, I kind of laid out some of, I think, what are his strongest attributes uh, to make a case for him as a rotational player in the NBA. Uh, the cold water would be that he shot 38% from the floor, 30% from three, uh, was a decent free throw shooter, just under 80%. But those those efficiency numbers from the field aren't going to cut it. Like, I actually think he will be a little bit of a better defender than he gets credit for. You know, size, like feistiness, competitive, pretty pretty aware and smart. Like, he he has his physical defensive limitations for sure. But those those shooting efficiency numbers just aren't going to cut it. Like he's going to just plain and simple have to shoot the ball better at the NBA level. He's going to have to survive on defense. But I'm actually not super super concerned with that. But th- that's the line to take. If if you're if you're not as high on Basson, it's going to be look this guy. You know he showed offensive flashes, but from a total offensive profile standpoint, he wasn't efficient enough, and he may get hunted a little bit on the defensive end. So what do you really have there? I'm a bit more bullish on the shooting. I'm a bit more bullish on kind of his ability to to eventually finish around the rim. And, and I think he'll be just slightly less of a defensive liability. I think that uh, kind of the consensus like talking points would lead you to believe at this point. So I, I'm kind of a proponent of him at 45 if he's available, of course, depending on what the Hornets do at 13 and 15 and who else is available. But Basson is creeping up into my early second round, which I know is higher than most. So, so this is definitely one of my guys, Brian. Yeah, I like Basson. Uh, you and I, Lee, we've talked about him a little bit. Fun guy to watch. You even noted this, just like the game would shift when he would come in for the breakers. Just an injection of pace and creativity and 
uh, and you know, flashy downhill drives. And look, when guys are that size and can run, pick and roll, and do so, and get into the paint, and uh, you know, get into the paint with relative ease at times, and can um, you know, throw different different moves while attacking off a live dribble. You got to kind of like perk up and pay attention to those types of players. I like his craft a lot as a down downhill driver. I think he's got just sort of like a, a chest of moves that he can go through when he's trying to like engage and attack the screen defender in and out moves, hesitation crossovers. So when he's trying to engage and attack the the drop defender or screen defender that's playing to the level and dropping, you know, he doesn't need to just get to the floater to the runner. Like he can, he can continue to sort of like probe and angle and try to weave and, and, uh, you know, you know, burrow his way to the basket. And I just think some of the, even some of the finishing packages around the rim are nice too, uh, with some of the scoop finishes, offhand finishes, um, pretty exciting offensive player to watch. So I would just say la- last thing I would say is, you know, our Hornet- Hornets audience, we're, we're just, we're just using this uh, podcast a little bit differently. We're going to try and get you guys familiar with fingers crossed. Maybe one of these players ends up getting taken by the Hornets at 45 and, you, and you've got this nice summary to kind of fall back on after the fact. Yeah. 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 And again, he would be a fun guy to pair with LaMelo just because of the handles and the, again, sort of like the attacking nature um, of, of his game uh, defensively, maybe some concerns, but, but offensively, I think they would produce some, some entertaining, if not also, you know, productive offense, but let's flip over to another, uh, intriguing downhill driver, another wing guard perimeter ball handler that has some intrigue with his ability to create out of the pick and roll. That's Darion Sebron, uh, a guy that I watched a ton of the last two seasons at NC state. Um, measured at the combine just under six five without shoes, um, six seven or pardon me six eight and three quarters wingspan, basically plus four in terms of wingspan. He's a little skinny, only one hundred eighty two pounds, but he did not let that lack of 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 weight sort of prevent him from being one of the best downhill drivers that we've seen in some time um, in college basketball. We saw some flashes at the end of his redshirt freshman season over the final eight games that year. Eight and a half points per game on 61% shooting, almost six rebounds per game, one and a half assist, and one steal per contest. And around that time, I wrote an article last May uh, when the season was over, sort of looking at NC State ahead for what would be this season and wrote, Sebron is long and rangy, but he showed an ability to get into gaps while driving to the hoop. During this eight-game stretch, Sebron was 23 of 36 at the rim, 64% shooting on two-point attempts. And that really was like kind of the foundation for his for what Sebron did this year as he ascended from an intriguing, you know, back into the rotation ACC player to a guy that should probably be a top 40 pick in the draft. Um, early on this season, just started immediately stuffing the box score, points, rebounds, steals, assists, like whatever you need, leading state in all those categories. But really it was the overtime win against Nebraska that kind of like put him on I think like the national radar quad overtime game, but 39 points, 19 rebounds, four assists, 11 of 19 at the rim in the game that featured Traquavion Smith and Bryce McGowan's like Sebron, clearly the best player on the court. And it was around that time, right when the calendar was flipping from 2021 to 2022 state basically said, Darion, you're the primary creator. We're not having you as just the secondary guy. We're going to run. You're bringing the ball up. We're putting shooters and playmakers around you as best as we can, which wasn't always, uh, you know, optimal just given the roster construction. But and and we're just going to run a ton of pick and rolls with you. And 
this guy just plays the game. He's hell bent on getting to the rim and like seems kind of unstoppable at times, just making stuff happen, drawing fouls, finishing at the rim, drop off passes, kickouts for open threes. He and he and Terquavion Smith were one of the premier slash and kick duos in the country. I wouldn't say he's like exceptionally bursty, but definitely quick in a straight line. And he's able to use his long strides to kind of just like eat up space and transition or slither and slink around defenders in the half court. And has, again, has the ability to get skinny, you know, again, slink around his defenders and then maybe split a help defender once he gets into the paint for a finish, like has all kinds of little, uh, you know, tricks really using his stride length to like separate and finish either driving left or driving right. Like he can, he can go in either direction and and really attack downhill. And again, has that nice Euro step that he can use in transition or in the half court teams threw a lot of ice coverage at Sebron this season, you know, really trying to keep the ball pinned on one side of the court and look, NC state centers offered very little or absolutely no roll gravity. They offered very little or no, like stretch pick and pop shooting, like unless the NC State used Terquavion Smith as a ghost screener or Jericho Helms in a pick and pop. Um, teams were really able to load up and just to put a ton of attention on Sebron with the basketball. And I think that's what led to some tougher shooting nights, like the two games against UNC, you know, a no middle defense that's going to try to keep the ball on one side of the court and then funnel things in the middle. When it does get there to Armando Baycott at the rim, Sebron, five of 16 shooting in those games. But again, we talked about this lead the other week when we were discussing Blake Wesley, like the scenario that Wesley had at Notre Dame, the continuity ball screen offense, the constant empty corner pick and rolls, all of that spacing. And, you know, with, with all of the usage Wesley had, he was, he was incredible. And just, you know, Darion Sebron didn't have, the context is important. Sebron didn't have that type of talent and that kind of spacing around him, even if, you know, he was getting to play with an excellent player like Terquavion Smith and a guy that, you know, would be drafted probably top 25 if he had stayed in the stayed in the draft this year. But with Sebron, that rim pressure that I was talking about, I'll real, read off a couple of numbers here quickly and then toss it to Lee. But 79% of his field goal attempts this season were at the rim, 39 or 319 of 406. Um, he shot 55% on those looks with 75% of those looks coming unassisted. Um, and of course, some some putback finishes get baked into the cake there. He was a nice offensive rebounder, got a lot of putback finishes this season. So, you know, that that you do have to count for that. These weren't all just drives, but again, he was an incredible downhill driver. 33 dunks, drew five and a half fouls per 40 minutes in a 50% free throw attempt rate, which is just a monster number for a guy that recorded you know, over 400 field goal attempts. So Lee, uh, thoughts on Sebron. I've got a couple other things to get in here on him re- relating to his defense and some off ball components of his offense, but where are you on Sebron? What do you like? Um, what are you looking to try to study more on here? Maybe what do you think about the fit with uh, Darion Sebron in, in the Hornets potentially? Yeah, he he's, he's certainly one of, um, one of a short list of prospects that that I'm I'm on schedule to circle back on here in the next here in the next week before the draft just to to make sure I'm getting a full picture. I can absolutely relate to kind of the emotions uh, you alluded to when when you're watching this guy and he's kind of in his zone and the opposing defenses just seem just seem helpless uh, to, to to like combat or give him any resistance in getting to the rim. He's also fascinating. Uh, because because of the things you've already talked about, like 
he's a fascinating conversation around context or what could have been. And that, and that's why his NBA translation is so interesting because he wasn't in an ideal situation from a, from like the front court players that he played with. And he also was not in an ideal situation. This is something you've talked about in our previous conversations, BG. He was also not in an ideal situation to like showcase himself as a serviceable defender. And when you look at kind of like his physical profile and, you know, decent athleticism um, and size and things of that nature, you, you would like to think that when his minutes are more limited and his playmaking load is less of a responsibility that he would be able to become like more of a service serviceable defender at the NBA level. Now I, I realize that young players don't normally become, you know, better defenders from college to NBA, at, at least initially, like there, there is a huge kind of a, uh, you know, learning curve and gap there in most cases, but particularly with him and the context from him going from NC state, you know, he had one of the highest usage rates in the ACC um, you, you'd like to think that that can be more of a focus for him and he can expend less energy. A- another point, BG, that you've made um, in our previous conversations ab- about him that I think is interesting and that you might talk about a little bit more is obviously he has he has major ability as kind of an on-ball playmaker and slasher. It's also interesting to think about him in the Hornets context or, or, or in whatever team ends up, but particularly with the Hornets as – as more of kind of like a screen setter and 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 short role player because because he does have decision making capabilities and he does have the size to kind of get defenses in uncomfortable positions deciding whether they're going to switch and blitz and if he may have opportunities to get downhill and make decisions like I I like the thought of Sebron attacking a three on two or or a, or a three or a four on three. Um, making decisions and getting balls to the right place or trying to finish himself at the rim. So those are the things I'm thinking about. Obviously the shooting is certainly kind of a little bit of a black eye on his, on his ability to, to be able to space the floor uh, at the NBA level. Yeah. It's certainly one of the more interesting prospects to, to banter about in this draft, in my opinion. And it sounds like you have him as a top 40 guy. Yeah. Yeah. I, or at least top 40, top 45, but probably somewhere in the, yeah, I mean, early second round range. Um, I'm intrigued by him. You look, you talked about the, you know, some of the concerns with the jump shot. It is, it should be clear. Like he was a reluctant shooter. I do think he started later in the season, started stepping into some spot up looks with some confidence and he shot it well at the combine and 71% shooting from the free throw line, which was a nice indicator and a big improvement over his red shirt freshman year. But Look, basically no like off the dribble, you know, pull up three point shooting. So, you know, maybe that's probably not something that's going to need to be in his bag. So it's like on the spot up looks, it's can he get comfortable shooting against closeouts? Can he force a closeout? Because looks that he got this season from deep were like, you know, wide open catch and shoot looks with plenty of time to like line it up. And and even then he was a little reluctant. But, you know, if he could force a closeout, obviously he's got all kinds of potential to be a, a monster closeout attacker. I like the short roll slip dive potential, you know, using him the way that like my, or pardon me, that Brooklyn uses Bruce Brown um, because he can, he can pass and like, he can make nice, he can make good decisions with the ball. So like, I'm intrigued by that. I also think he does some of the more like traditional off ball stuff that someone like Michael Kidd Gilchrist would do with Charlotte when he was playing on the wing that, 
can counter some, at least on the margin, some of the spacing concerns. He's a good off-ball cutter. Like, really is active. Like, will will hunt pockets of space. Will call for it. Is looking to make stuff happen. Like his cut layups aren't created by like teammates. It's like he made that stuff happen by just moving crazily without the basketball. And he'll pound the offensive glass too. Seven and a half percent offensive rebound rate, which doesn't seem crazy, but when you think about all the other stuff that was on this guy's plate as basically as like a, a point forward, I think it's actually pretty impressive. And he showed good finishing touch as as a putback guy this season. So I'm intrigued by him offensively. I think of him not only as a screen setter, but a guy that you could put into pistol action. So, you know, LaMelo's bringing the ball up off the up the left or right side. Sebron's up ahead. You throw it to him, right? You know, LaMelo kicks it ahead. All of a sudden, Sebron has the ball, and LaMelo throws it and then chases the ball. And so all of a sudden, Sebron can either pitch it back to LaMelo, who's running, you know, towards the baseline, or he can fake the handoff there and keep it come off a come off a, a ball screen from PJ Washington all of a sudden now you're really pressuring the defense and and uh you can really like like you know bend the defense get downhill do some creative stuff out of that so um defensively this was not a great season for him i thought there were some nice flashes his redshirt freshman season late in the year um he's a great defensive rebounder he can rip and run and grab and go We'll need to see more fight at the point of attack defensively. We'll need to see him more engaged off bat, off ball. Like you can see teams that could uh, could try to post him up on a switch, or if he was off ball, you know, ball watching, losing cutters. And again, he was asked to do so much for NC State. You know, again, twenty seven percent usage rate, but bring the ball up, get him into the offense, attack coverage that's being rolled in your direction, hit the offensive glass. And so it was just, I think, tough for him to have great energy. On, on on the defensive side of the court, but as you scale down those components of his game, um, you know I, I think that is uh, something you'll be able to you know tap into his length and his quick hands and uh, and some of his just like uh, tenacity as a as a help defender on the next level. But again, he's gonna have to really like tighten up some stuff um, away from the ball. I in general, he's not gonna be the same type of like pick and roll high volume guy uh, in the NBA as he was at NC State. But I still think it's good that he. He got those reps. So shout out to Sebron. Pretty cool story for him to to be to go from back end of the rotation guy in the ACC uh, a year ago to being a guy that you know is 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 definitely draftable and I think should be a top forty top forty five pick. So Lee, let's go to your next prospect here. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. The the last two of my prospects, it's kind of a similar case for, for both of them, but I'm going to start with Keon Ellis from Alabama. Uh, 22-year-old senior for the Crimson Tide, came in at the combine six four and three quarters. Um, I, I I was hoping he'd be slightly bigger than that, um, but but not like a massive concern. I mean, we're we're talking about a half an inch here or there. Um, Twelve points per game, six rebounds per game, two assists, one and a half turnovers. Uh, traditional shooting splits: forty five percent from the field, eighty three percent from the free throw line, and thirty seven percent from three. On, on pretty big volume um, for Alabama this season. The, the case for Keon Ellis, and, and a guy that I was like beating the table for uh, early in, in kind of the evaluation process, but, but have felt less of a need to do so late in the process. I do feel like uh, consensus, like draft Twitter, like draft hive mind, whatever you want to call it, I do feel like there is a bit more of an appreciation for Keon Ellis um, th- than there was. Um previously so like I'm pretty comfortable with with kind of where he is on a lot of mock drafts now at this point I do think he probably it's maybe it's a coin flip but I think there's a decent decent chance he would be available for the Hornets at 45 and depending on what they do at 13 and 15 it could be an interesting choice because it's kind of like the 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 old adage like you just kind of can't have enough of these uh disruptive defenders like Keon Ellis is is really um He's really like a pain in the neck in terms of like playing passing lanes, digging down, helping around, like rotations. He's he's just like a solid disruptive defender um, at, at almost six five, and he's just an awesome shooter. Like he's a fantastic movement shooter. He's a fantastic catch and shoot player. Um, <clears throat> me and BG were talking before the podcast about how Alabama loves loves to run kind of these guard to guard screens where Keon Ellis would come almost set like a fake or proxy screen for the ball and just kind of immediately fade off and pop onto the wing and 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 would kind of set his feet and and you know quick release high release like and kind of had a knack for making shots in timely moments just just a player that I've really enjoyed from the beginning of this season as he had a bit of a breakout going all the way into the end of the season and has has certainly gotten himself on, on a lot more draft boards than he was, say, three to four months ago. So I really like Keon Ellis. I do see him as 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 a top 40 guy for sure and, and have even flirted with putting him in kind of like my late, late first round um, whenever I do put out my, my, my first and final 
uh, big board. I, I joked the other day that, that my toxic trait is not releasing my big board <laughs> until like hours before the draft because I'm, I'm continually overthinking and shifting <laughs> prospects around. But I like Keon. That's kind of the, the, the easy base case for him. Uh, if you had any more like detailed thoughts or, or maybe some qualities yeah. that I that I didn't hit on or even like some pushback and things that you think could be an issue for him. Go ahead, Brian. No, no, no. I, I'm with you on Ellis. I, I like him. I think he would be a any team drafting at 45. If you have the chance to draft Keon Ellis, I think it's a great fit. Just like a, a utility wing that's super physical defensively, plays with a great motor. And you mentioned the shot. He was one of those guys like he, he landed more on my radar earlier in the year because Whenever I was running like stat queries for like Wendell Moore that were looking at, you know, st- stuff like steal rate and uh, shooting percentages from from two, from three and from the free throw line, like Ellis was frequently showing up in those marks to 88% from the line, 37% from deep. You mentioned the movement shooting, pin downs, dribble handoffs, relocations, like he's got all of that. An intelligent and industrious defender. I loved his point of attack defense in the Baylor game against uh Akinjo and Adam Flagler like can be disruptive with quick hands will contest jump shots in rear view pursuit like I think there's some interesting point guard defense upside with Keon Ellis but just in general like he'll need to get stronger but I love the physicality plays with and again the motor defensively is good he can rebound solid athlete and has like you know a pretty decent first step for whatever it's worth to the shot profile will fit any NBA system because he's playing at Bama. So you look at his stuff. I mean, it's all it's all layups and threes, right? Like very little mid-range volume. So I do think he'll need to get stronger. There was one possession in the Notre Dame game and then in the tournament against where he, Blake Wesley was guarding him, where like Ellis tried to like barrel through Blake Wesley and like Wesley, who's not exactly like made out of concrete, just sort of like stood him up and Ellis had to fling up this really kind of like disgusting looking you know, random mid-range shot. Um, but again, I, I do think he, I like the shot and especially if he can sort of like tighten up some of the form stuff, like the lower body movement can be like a, is like something that I think you could clean up pretty easily. But again, I, I just, I like the shooting upside and I like his defensive versatility guarding a couple position types along the perimeter. So big fan of Keon Ellis. Great points there. Like potential point of attack defender in the NBA. And then, uh, kind of like his his overall shot diet is pretty translatable to the NBA. Yeah. Um. Not not some not a player that I that I necessarily see any like star upside with, but just like would kind of rather take him than some of these like super young upside bets. I just feel like I'm getting a productive player rather than rolling the dice. Um. So that's kind of why I like him in that you know. 30 to 45 range yeah. it feels right um and i just kind of prefer him to some of those other guys so yeah go ahead with your second guy bg yeah and look this is another guy that i think is going to be in that same range i just mentioned his name a little bit ago um duke guard uh wendell moore jr um or small forward whatever you want to call him he, he at all at times during his career wendell moore jr played one through five at duke like was used as a backup point guard his freshman season when Trey Jones got hurt. Um, certainly played a lot on the ball this season. And when Duke went really small, even back to Wendell's freshman season, they they would use him at center occasionally, at you know, de facto center in quotes there. But look, he came in with a lot of promise, one of the youngest guys in the 2019 recruiting class. And he look, he struggled at times, like shooting the basketball, struggled with decision making, struggled with his off ball defense. 
And it, it is easy to forget that he was a really big time recruit. Yeah, he was a top. I mean, there were people that thought he could be a one and done caliber player and it just took a little bit longer for him. You know what I mean? Which is totally fine. Like he's still he's a junior that probably played, you know, close to 100 games while at Duke and he's 20 years old. Like he's still very, very young uh, for for a guy that that had really, really a solid career and just got so much better this season both in terms of skill, like ball handling, better. Pick and roll, patience in the pick and roll and pick and roll orchestration, better. Passing, better. Open floor passing, better. And he's had this promise as a three-point shooter for a long time now where he was so reluctant to take it his first his freshman year at Duke. But this season, 52 of 126 from deep, 41% shooting. And again, you could always kind of believe in it a little bit because he's been a career 81% free throw shooter. So there were like, there were indicators. It's just, you could not quite see it in this season. I mean, he was money shooting off the catch this year for Duke big time spot of efficiency numbers. He also improved a lot as an athlete before his junior season. I think that's huge with a full off season came into this year, stronger and more explosive just six dunks his first two seasons combined in 49 games at Duke. And there's a buddy of mine who is a uh, frequent listener of this podcast and a big Duke fan who would always joke with me that like it's it, Wendell Moore actually can't dunk the basketball. But this season, 14 dunks in 39 games, 64% shooting at the rim with two thirds of those makes coming unassisted. Um, and so he got more athletic. He's always been a pretty rugged driver, strong, good body control, uses his shoulders and his upper body strength to create contact and to burrow into the paint and separate for finishes. So he's always had that. And I think that's going to have to be something he's going to have to have on the next level because like, you know, like the, the doesn't have like elite burst or anything like that, but uses patience in the pick and roll, use his strength. And he does have the ability to crack a defense with that stuff. Now, I do think with someone like Wendell Moore, his role on the next level, like the archetype is like a jack of all trades. And I think that's, I think he can actually fit into that role because he can do a little bit of everything. And I think he's a really underrated cutter. I actually think he's one of the better like wing cutters. Duke's half court offense this year featured, you know, four plus guys that could create Trevor Keels, Paolo Bencaro, Jeremy Roach, occasionally AJ Griffin in isolation, Wendell Moore Jr., but they gelled so well, I think, in part because of Moore's off-ball movement. Just constantly buzzing around in the half court with different movement patterns, cutting from the slot, baseline cuts, uh, relocations along the perimeter, playing off the interior passing gravity and court mapping of Ben Caro. So I think that's actually like kind of appealing for him as a prospect. You know, kickstart transition offense. He can run a pick and roll or two. He can threaten as a spot up guy because the three point shot is, seems like something that is projectable, something that you can believe in. And again, he can just help your overall half court flow with his cutting and movement. So Lee, I'm going to throw it to you. Uh, thoughts on Wendell Moore Jr., um, the all ACC guard or small forward, whatever you want to label him out of uh, Duke. Yeah, you know, just on like a kind of like personal note, like just a really cool development story. Like you said, a guy that came out of Charlotte the sa- in the same recruiting class that Patrick Williams went to Florida State. And, you know, yep. th- th- those two were like very highly touted, the, the two best prospects from from the Charlotte Metro that season, uh, Wendell at Cox Mill and Patrick Williams at West Charlotte. And they were kind of thought it thought of as peers. And then Patrick Williams has this kind of like incredible ascension into the top, into the 
top five yep. of the 2020 draft. And Wendell Moore is kind of left, kind of left like shaking his head after his freshman season at Duke and kind of like people wondering if, if he's ever going to, you know, turn into the player they thought he, they thought he might. And he, and he did. And so, and you, you mentioned his age, he's still, he's still young. So like his development arc, it's funny because it's counterintuitive. Like he didn't pop off immediately the way you thought he might, but his development arc is actually still like pretty encouraging because of his age and how quickly he did improve at Duke after having a, after having a rough beginning to his career. So with, with more, it's interesting. And I, I honestly, I want to kick it back to you, Brian, because you were so intimately familiar with this Duke team this year, which by the way, like I knew this during the season, but going back and just kind of like reevaluating all these prospects and you watch Duke and they're just loaded, man. I yeah. Mean, Talent that, was nuts. It, it was nuts. nuts. It was yeah. nuts. I mean, when you get when you when they finally got to the to the more Keels, Banchero, Griffin, Williams lineup, like that I, I like we might look back at that lineup and just be like, my God, they were yeah. just just NBA solid NBA players and potentially even like an NBA star or two, all on this Duke team in Coach K's last season. But but what the the reason I was going to kick it back to you, and you kind of already alluded to this, so I think I know what your opinion is. You kind of alluded to him as a jack of all trades. You know, a guy that could probably play on the ball a little bit, off the ball a little bit. Obviously, has has some really nice defensive attributes. Has the intangibles. Like, do you think of him? less of like a second unit primary and more out of the kind of like Melton Caruso, uh, like, like mm-hmm. mold. Yeah. Like, how are you thinking about him in the NBA? I guess is my overall question. Yeah. You more, know? more of like the wing connector with a little bit of defense and some shooting, you know what yeah. I mean? I, think, I like, I, I think that role is better for him. Um, he can, cause again, he can do, I'm telling you, he played all five positions at Duke. He guarded all five positions at Duke. Um, so I think he's got, again, he's got the ability to sort of like see the game in a couple of different ways and he is improving. Um, you talked about the intangible factor. I think it's impressive that this guy could have bailed at any point in time from Duke, right? Could have looked around and said, every from everyone from that 2019 class was gone. Matthew Hurt, gone. Cassius Stanley, gone. Vernon Carey Jr. Gone. He came back for his third year and was better than ever before. Twice this season, by the way, he took some pretty nasty falls. Like the game against Clemson, oh, David Collins. Wow, I mean, he's wow. lucky he like walked out of the arena that night. Like if people didn't see that, Wendell Moore had a, like a pick six steal. Uh, David Collins from Clemson was mad that he turned the ball over. And as Moore was sort of like driving ahead of the pack in transition, was going up to dunk the ball. David Collins, an incredibly dirty play. Uh, to just like essentially cheap shot him when Look he was in the air. More flipped head over heels, basically landed on his head or neck area. Um, not only did he like uh, like walk out of the arena that night, which again was incredible, but like he shot the free throws. Yeah, um, this dude is tough as hell. And there was also a, there was a no there was a game in November, early December, um, like non con game that he got hurt, like messed up his knee. And uh, he injured his knee over the offseason, too. So there was some concern with that. But after being in the locker room for a little bit, he came back out. Like, this guy just could have at multiple times bailed or have gotten seriously hurt and his body upheld, his mind, you know, it, he just he stayed solid. He stayed committed. And he was, like, a pure leader for this team and a guy that, like, I think bridged the sophomores of Roach and Williams along with the rookies of Bencaro, Griffin, and, and Keels. Um, 
Last thing I'd like to say about Moore is just his ability to be a link-up player in transition. This is a guy that played a season of basketball with Trey Jones in 2019-2020, and I, I do think he took some – I like I, he played this season at times as a guy that like like wow he, I think he watched Trey Jones film or uh, or just some stuff you know going up against this guy in practice he absorbed some stuff and finally had the playmaking and the processing and the on ball reps to to, uh, to 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 put it on display but just one of the best hit ahead passers uh, in college basketball I thought this season and a guy that did a wonderful job getting Duke from the defensive third to high percentage looks with either with grab and goes, but certainly just some beautiful hit ahead passes showing off the vision, showing off the touch. And um, I don't know, like I think he's a guy that can also like on the margins help as like a transition kickstarter too. So one other sort of like feather in the cap for Wendell Moore jr. Who also improved defensively. You know, he was probably like one of the top seven or eight defenders in the league this season. I do think his defense was, a little overrated. Like he still has lapses both on the ball and off the ball, but I do think he's a guy that can be playable defensively, um, both away from the basketball, being physical, at the point of attack, navigating screens. Um, you know, he's going to have to tighten it up, but I do think that's something uh, he can do. So anything else on Wendell Moore junior Lee, or would you like to hit me with your third prospect? Yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's keep it rolling. So, like I said earlier, like a similar kind of base case um, for this next prospect, my third and final second round gym, a player that I actually loved in, in, in last year's cycle, but came back uh, to Michigan State and just became an even better player, and that's Gabe Brown. Senior wing from Michigan State, 6'8", 215. He didn't measure at the combine, so, so I think take those uh, numbers with a grain of salt, uh, but he's a 22-year-old. Uh, like I said, senior wing at Michigan State that just kind of became uh, a linchpin of that program under Tom Izzo. And he's a guy that just continued to get better and better and and obviously had his best season, his last season um, for the Spartans. Career 37% three-point shooter over four seasons. But in his junior and senior year, his last two years, which obviously uh, were, you know, he, he which he played the most, he was 42% and 38% with higher volume. So like even that really impressive 37% career three-point mark at Michigan State doesn't exactly tell the entire story because his last two seasons, he shot above that mark in both years on higher volume. So like he improved as a shooter. Um, he improved as a player. He improved as a defender. Now, Gabe Brown is not much of a playmaker for others. You know, he's not a pick and roll practitioner. He's not an isolation breakdown guy. But what he is really, really good at is three-point shooting, um, even a little bit of kind of like attacking closeouts. You know, if, if if it's a swing and the defense is rotating, he is fully capable of kind of ripping through or showing a pump fake, taking a dribble or two, and taking like a really controlled pull up jumper. I would actually say he's really good at finding that intermediate space because he's a really solid athlete. I wouldn't say he's a nuclear athlete, but he's a solid athlete with size and he can finish uh, above the rim, particularly in transition. Absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. Like, like absolutely. But what he does do in the half court is when that necessarily might not be the best decision to challenge a defender at the rim, 
after he shows that pump faker, after he rips through and takes advantage of the of the closing defender's momentum, he stops short of picking up that charge. He's, he's like comfortable taking a little one or two dribble pull up, that intermediate kind of touch shot that's really tough, uh, that's harder than it looks if you've never played. Like that's a difficult shot and Gabe Brown has it in the bag. And then like the IQ, the intangibles, blah, 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 all that stuff you get with a senior guy that played under Tom Izzo for four years, all that self-explanatory and evident. But he's just a fantastic wing defender too. Like when you pair that with the shot making and the IQ and the physical profile, I just don't quite understand why this guy isn't talked about more as like a premier second round talent. Like I get he's 22 and I get he's not much of a playmaker on the ball, like creating his own shot or for others. But I mean, my goodness, how many teams in the NBA are trying to get their hands on this type of guy? Personally, I think he's like a top 40 prospect. I mean, and 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 frankly, I would I would slightly prefer him to Keon Ellis. I would slightly prefer him to Hung Jun Lee from Davidson, who he did a fantastic job on in the tournament in the first round, which was a a classic game, by the way, um, that I was actually at in Greenville. And he, he, I mean, he just like, man, a shadow on Lee all night. And, and Lee's a terrific player. Like I prefer him to uh, Vince Williams from VCU. I prefer him to Johnny Juzang. I like, there's all these kind of second round wings that get bandied about. And I'm just like, where the hell is Gabe Brown and which team is going to be smart enough to kind of like pick him up under the radar and have him contributing I think potentially in year one. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I came a little hot off the collar there, uh, but this is a guy that I've like tried to be on the soapbox about all year. And I just where where Keon Ellis did kind of pick up deserved momentum. Gabe Brown just seems to never have. Um, So, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll cool off and let you start talking a little bit, BJ. Yeah, just comparing him to some of those other wings, uh, I'm not sure where I would land with Brown versus Vince Williams. I think I'd prefer uh, Vince Williams there. Lee from VCU, by the way. Yeah, right, from VCU. And and Lee is like a little bit different because I think of him as just like not just a pure – you know, wing or, you know, three and D wing or three and D wing with a little bit of like offensive creation. You know, that's, that's kind of where I see Vince Williams, but Lee is like a movement shooter type, totally. you know, like a special, special movement shooter. But I like Gabe Brown a lot. And I, I definitely like echo some of the points you just brought up. Um, when I think of Gabe Brown, like my initial thoughts go back to, Honestly, like the first year of the the pandemic, like the summer and fall of 2020, because I was obsessed with watching uh, Xavier Tilbin and Cassius Winston totally. at Michigan State. And every time I would throw on a Michigan State, and Aaron game, Henry was Aaron on Henry too. Who I I mean I I believed in him as a as an NBA wing too. And I, I don't I'm not going to give up on that yet because I I just think he's early. It's early, and I loved him as a prospect too. And actually thought he could have even come out in. 2020 as opposed to 2021 but um i think he's like an underrated in-game dunker like every once in a while he'll just surprise you with some springs on a a catch and finish in transition you're like whoa where did that come from so i again i think for the last couple of years been one of the more underrated in-game flyers in in college basketball you mentioned the mid-range game of his i love how that complements his pin down usage like the Michigan state runs a lot of floppy action. They run a lot of like garden variety, simple, you know, motion down screen action. Um, and Gabe Brown has the ability to catch and shoot off those looks, just, you know, curl those looks, one dribble, pull up, get to the midi, 
And uh, so again, he's got he's got like some shot versatility to his game. Defensively, what a versatile defender. You mentioned the chase defense against Lee. Superb. Um, his off-ball defense is outstanding for a wing. The rotations are there. There were some games this season with Gabe Brown where I would just be cracking up because he would just make every rotation, even the ones where it, like, it wasn't obvious. You know what I mean? And he would just fly over as the from the weak side oh. and make a stop at the rim or contest at the rim or block a shot at the rim. Like He has some weak side rim protection too. So I'm with you. Like This is a guy, like, I know he's like a little bit of a complicated prospect to discuss, but like with his size, if he shoots it and there are reasons to buy the shot because he's <laughs> 90% a free throw shooter for his yeah, career. Yeah, I didn't even mention that. Not a ton of volume, but that's there. And again, 38% uh, three-point shooter with volume. You know what I mean? And, and again, like we talk, it's hard. It can be hard to project shooting into the next level. It's true. But this it's is true. a guy that, that, that showed versatility and showed some shot making in the mid-range that I think can also bolster the projections for him as an outside shooter. So again, some of this sort of like pin down pull up shooting that we're discussing, that stuff's just going to get, you know, those pin downs just get set further away from the rim in the NBA. And and so I think he can give you some of that too. Like doesn't have to be just a pure spot up guy. Like, you know, you can, you can use him as a movement guy too at at times. So, and I do think it is fair to say like, he does have to be an above average shooter. I I think he can be, but like, I I don't think he would necessarily be as valuable as a 34% three point shooter in the NBA. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I think for him, like it's going to be, it's like a volume thing and, and finding the efficiency. And then, yeah, like the defense is the defense is there. And if you can find these guys in the second round or undrafted, like whatever, I mean, it's just, it is, it is found money. Um, so yeah, I really like Gabe Brown as a prospect. We'll see if he gets drafted. Uh, I think that's. I know. I think, that's, I think that's an interesting kind of uh, you know what if situation heading into the draft because I think he's a top sixty guy, but that doesn't always uh, mean that you're you're guaranteed. Well, and him and uh, him know? and Bingham, neither one of them were at the combine. Yeah, and and Bingham's another guy. You know. Uh, 610, 6'11 drop center that can shoot threes and block shots. It's yeah, like, he was on my short list. It, I almost included him. Yeah, and that that got better year after year too. Like again, these guys are gonna get their chance, even if they don't get drafted, just because they're you know, they're they played at Michigan State, they're big time players, like all that sort of jazz. All right, last guy we're gonna touch on is um Alondis Williams from Wake Forest, the guy that I covered this season in uh the ACC. And truly one of the most fun, explosive, talented players uh, in college basketball this season. And just kind of like a meteoric rise from him being like in and out of the rotation guy at Oklahoma to being the ACC player of the year. And for him being one of the best, you know, downhill drivers and advantage creators in all of college basketball this season. Um, Damn near 30% usage rate, like not too far behind Blake Wesley tops in the ACC 31% assist rate, shot 60% on two-point attempts this year, including 67% at the rim on crazy volume, 25 dunks, and yes, 73% of his rim finishes coming unassisted. He's got an NBA-ready body now, like he's 6'5", and he's over 200 pounds, strong, powerful, and a guy that can play with his back. to. He can use his strength in a bunch of different ways, there was a game against Virginia this season where he just could not turn the corner against Reese Speakman, who, to be clear, an elite on-ball defender, arguably the best on-ball defender, in my opinion, in, in the country. And so all of a sudden, Wake started posting him up. 
and he could just <laughs> overwhelm even elite defenders like Beekman, if they're smaller, he could just overwhelm those guys with his power, play with his back to the basket, back down, relentless driving, relentless posting up. And in terms of his passing, this guy... That's passer in the draft, Brian? I mean, or maybe. Like, in terms of, like, live dribble skip passes, yes. You know what I mean? I mean, I think when we think of, you know, skip passers, maybe you even think of someone like... Trevion Williams out of Purdue doing it from the post, but there's just no one who threw the ball off a live dribble with as much velocity and as much accuracy as Alonis Williams and wake really tapped into it, both in terms of some of their half court designs, but also with just plenty of random actions. And he, and he and Jake LaRavia, who's another, you know, interesting prospect, uh, you know, another guy that could sneak into the second round. Those guys had, those guys were so connected and wake did a wonderful job you know, designing stuff for those two guys or just giving them the creative freedom to just play two-man actions between those guys. Um, there are some real concerns with the jump shot. You know, he shot, after getting off to a good start, shot just 28% from three this season on okay volume. You know, a lot of like pull-up shots too. For whatever it's worth, he did shoot a pretty good number, not just from deep, but also in the mid-range off dribble. So that is a little encouraging. I know there's some other indicators that are not so pleasant, you know, under 70% from the line this season, but he certainly showed some reasons to maybe be hopeful about the shot. And if that comes, he is an incredible uh, yeah, downhill driver with force who can really, really pass. And the thought of just injecting this guy with other, with, with play finishers and other guys that can pass and get out on the break and, you know, putting putting him in pick and roll around NBA level spacing with NBA type rollers is really really intriguing. So, was one of the best stories in college basketball this season. Incredibly fun player to watch. The numbers at the rim are were really wild this season. I mean, he and Sebron um, were just kind of like uh, you know in their own tiers in different ways in terms of kind of like getting to the rim with volume and efficiency. So, Lee, anything you'd like to add here on on Alondis Williams? I have been trying to figure out who I think is the best passer in this draft because it isn't clear like it has been. Like 2020 had Halliburton and Ball. Like uh, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. 2021 had Cunningham and Giddy. You know Sh- what I mean? Shreve like, Cooper too. Shreve yeah, Cooper and Shreve, well. like just ridiculous passers, yeah. um, otherworldly passers. So I, I think we got a little spoiled with kind of our like jumbo on the ball, uh, ridiculous playmakers. This is more of a yeah. top-heavy like – uh, massive hybrid wing draft class than anything else. But I think it may be Williams. And I mean, you mentioned the shooting, which is definitely concerning and, and like a little bit of a little bit of it feels like he gets some of his buckets, like, like in a college way at times, if that makes sense. But yeah, it does at the same time, like if you have, if you have a guy who's this solid, this athletic, this strong, that can just kind of fire the ball all over the floor and create advantage. Like I, I think that's worth paying attention to. I think he's absolutely a draftable prospect. I think he's even a little bit interesting at 45 for the Hornets because he, because we do need to somehow, I mean, how long has Charlotte been trying to find the solution at, at backup point guard? Forever. Um, 
forever. Forever. Since, since I, Jeremy Lin left in 2016. Ex- exactly. I mean, we've tried our Wanamakers. We've tried our Ish Smiths. You know, like <laughs> just a, 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 cl- a closet full of skulls. You, you know, know Devontae I mean? Graham is the one. You the know one. What I mean? No, you're he's, right. He's the one. But outside of that, yeah. It's but been he became a starter, you know, and right, then, right. yeah. So I, I do, you know, I think. I, I would imagine Charlotte would want maybe a little bit more floor spacing from a backup guard than Williams sure. brings, but he does bring a lot of connectivity and he does bring kind of like that free flowing ball movement that Charlotte has become accustomed to. And that you would imagine they, they would continue in some form or fashion under Atkinson. So yeah, no, no, nothing else like super specific on Alondis, but you know, it is funny because I was actually watching Wake Forest this week. Um, as I circle back on Williams and LaRavia and, and actually like sneaky kind of like Walton and Mucius, like maybe undrafted, like two way guys, maybe Mucius um, is a tall guy that, that can bomb from three, like oh, really, really oh. leaned into being like a three and D movement shooter with size. So yeah, it would not, and he's an okay defender, a little skinny. Okay. Defender. Dallas, Dallas Walton's a guy that can give you some scheme versatility, guarding the pick and roll can drop, can play to the level. Um, and, and he can, can shoot, shoot a little bit too. Yeah. yeah. And can, and can give you a little bit of rim protection. So yeah, Walton, in my opinion, I, I wrote about it a couple times this season, but like Walton was a guy that probably should have gotten some like all defensive team consideration mm. in the ACC. There were probably too many names ahead of him, but I think I had him as like a top 10 or 12 defender in the league this season. Cause I just thought his versatility as like a screen defender, wake asked him to do a lot of different stuff and he checked a bunch of boxes. Totally. And, and, you know, I think Mucius and like their young freshmen are like pretty much the only guys in the roster that started at Wake Forest. I mean, this was an incredible job by Forbes at just kind of like piecemealing these like random transfers all together. Um, that, that obviously, I mean, they had a miraculous turnaround, um, in, in Winston-Salem this year. So, no, th- those were kind of my macro thoughts. All you know, six really interesting prospects that now hopefully our audience will be a little bit more familiar with. You know, they they can take this information, they can go do a little more research, and then they'll have like strong opinions when the Hornets are on the clock at forty five, and and they'll be pulling for a certain guy or a certain profile uh, for the front office to take. So I, this is always fun for me, I, and I know it is for you, BG. Like as a draft nerd, it's always fun to talk about these. You know. 30 to 60 type guys. That's, that's what we're in it for. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So agreed. It's, um, it is a, uh, I always enjoy talking to these guys. You can find value in the second round. You can find building block pieces in the second round. You know, we'll see what Charlotte does with that pick, but certainly good to talk about some guys, guys that I think would offer some, some intrigue and Charlotte could fit the system or, uh, you know, just, you know, young NBA players to keep an eye on as they try to enter, into the NBA and yeah, if, if, if people out there haven't done this already, just watch some Alondis Williams film. Um, the guy, the, the passing this season, the live dribble lasers that had just a vapor trail coming off them that he would just, you know, just zip through the middle of a, even like Syracuse's two, three zone, just like shredding it with a fireball from, you know, 35 feet away, really impressive, <laughs> impressive passer. And I saw, I watched him in Oklahoma, um, I, and I, I liked his passing, but I, I did not see it becoming what it is now. So anyways, thank you, anyone. Uh, thank you, anyone and everyone who tuned into this pod. Um, we appreciate the listen. And again, we're coming down the home stretch with, stretch with draft coverage. We've got a live draft show coming up the night of the draft. 
And just thank you for for listening in the last couple of weeks as we've touched on, uh, I don't even know, a couple dozen different prospects now. It's been a lot of fun. I love talking the draft and I'm I'm amped up to have a fun, you know, draft night show and we'll see what Charlotte does with uh with some of these picks in terms of selecting players or possible trades. But uh thank you everyone for listening in once more. Uh this has been another episode of Buzz Beat and we will talk to you guys next time. Go Hornets.